But let's get into our study today and what we want to talk about. Last week, if you remember, we talked about the blessing of we talked about the blessing of faith from Noah and how he taught us and demonstrated for us what it looks like to trust God completely. And so we talked about how by faith Noah well, moved with godly fear, built an ark, prepared an ark for the saving of his family and condemned the world thereby. Of course, thinking from Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 7. And I mentioned that we would move from talking about Noah's obedience to God from his faith to this week talking about how the ark and Noah present us a an image of our own ark of salvation and that being the church. And so we return to Noah and the ark today, not as an example of faith, but as a type. A type being a blurry image of salvation that is now seen clearly in the antitype of baptism into the church. And so we want to consider how the church is our ark of salvation. How that in the church you find the saved. How that the saved are only in the church because the church is Christ's body. And in Christ's body is hope, and in Christ's body is salvation. And so that's what we're going to be considering this morning as we talk about the Ark of Salvation. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you over to 1 Peter chapter 3. And we're going to be looking, especially in this first point that we're going to consider here in just a moment, at verses 18 through 22. Now, we have three points. They all start the same way, but they each have a different word at the end. And so for those of you who are taking notes, you'll be able to see it here in just a moment. But they all start with the same, by water we are. By water we are. So let's look at what our first point is going to be. By water we are saved. By water we are saved. As I mentioned, this first point is especially going to come out of 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. So I'm going to go ahead and read that and leave this slide up so we can remember what it is that our minds are going to be focusing upon here for the next few minutes. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So think about this first point that we want to consider this morning. By, by water we are saved. And digging into this text, I want to spend a lot of time this morning right here in this first point in these verses. Now, we have two more points, but those are going to be briefer. Uh, they're going to reinforce, really, what it is that, that we're considering here in these first few verses. But if you're with me, look at verses 18 and 19 first. Because what we see in this is that God has always, always been about salvation. God has always been about salvation. Now, there's two examples that we have here. The first is our current time, 
And the second is a previous time. Now, in verse 18, Peter references our current situation. He says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. So this is that present time. Christ has suffered. Christ has died for us, the just for the unjust. This is his atoning sacrifice, his atonement made for us, right? His offering himself in our stead. We reflected on that just a few moments ago in partaking of the Lord's Supper. And now here is Peter saying it very plainly to us. Christ has offered himself for us. But God wasn't only concerned about salvation in the present time and in this age, but he has throughout history been speaking to man and giving man the knowledge of what he needed to respond to him by faith. In fact, one of the things we're seeing throughout our study of faith, and especially Hebrews 11 this year, is this idea that God has throughout the generations been calling men to faith, calling men to believe in him and obey him, right? So when you look at verse 19, you you see the second time that we're looking at. Verse 18, you have the present. But verse 19, you look toward the past. And especially here, you have the days of Noah mentioned, right? Verse 19, by whom also he went, that is by the Spirit, and preached the spirits in prison, who, verse 20, were formerly disobedient when once the divine longsuffering waited in the days of Noah. Now, however you interpret the exact nature of this passage, there's one thing we know with absolute certainty. According to 2 Peter chapter 2 at verse 5, Noah is a preacher of righteousness. And so if we understand that he was preparing the ark for approximately 120 years, that's something we discussed last Sunday, and that he is described as a preacher of righteousness during this time, then we can be certain that God, caring about the people that were then present, was preaching through Noah. And here it seems that that is all credited to Christ. That he is the word of God, the voice of God, is the one from which that message came by the Spirit to Noah unto all men. And so God has been concerned about man's salvation. So when we think about by water we are saved, understand that that Jesus has come that we might be saved. And in the days of Noah, there was preaching that men might be saved. And yet we know that they didn't listen, right? Because if you read the end of verse 20, it says this, that while the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. Now, if you go back to Genesis chapter 6 into Genesis chapter 7 and 8, you know who those eight souls are, don't you? You know it was Noah and his wife, and then Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and their wife. So three sons, each with a wife, that's a total of six, and Noah and his wife are two more, and that's basic basic mathematics, isn't it? Six plus two equals eight. Eight souls were saved by water. Now, there's a key thought there, isn't there? That these eight souls were saved by water. Well, Well, you might think to yourself, wait, wait. I thought they were saved in the ark. Well, well, they were in the ark. But just as much as the water was an act of judgment and condemnation in destroying all living flesh on the face of the earth, it also was an act of mercy and salvation because it is that water that lifted the ark above all of that death and destruction. 
Now, when you think about the ark, think about it. It existed by virtue of, of two powers, if you will. First, the power of grace. Genesis 6, verse 8, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God's grace was active. God's grace was involved in bringing about the salvation of Noah and his family in the ark through the water. If it wasn't for God speaking to Noah and warning him of what was to come and instructing him regarding the ark, all that Noah did was by the grace of God. And yet, there's a second aspect to it, isn't there? Something we discussed in detail last week. You know, when you look at Hebrews 11:7, it gives us three action words, if you will, by faith Noah moved, prepared, and condemned, right? Those are words that speak to something happening by virtue of action, but especially the moved and prepared, Noah had to respond and he had to obey. And we read in Genesis 6 verse 22 that thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him, thus he did. Everything that God said for Noah to do, Noah did. And so when we read that these eight souls were saved by water, well, we know they were in the ark. And that ark existed because of God's grace. But that ark also existed because of Noah's obedience, because of his faith. And so we see grace with faith resulting in salvation through the water. Through the water. And that's a beautiful testimony, isn't it? To what we read in Ephesians 2 at verse 8, even in our time, how that salvation is by grace through faith. Well, God provides the means, but man has to provide the response to those means, doesn't he? That's what Ephesians 2.8 is teaching us, and that's what Genesis 6 shows us. When we look at verse 8 and verse 22 together, we see grace with faith. Now, notice what it goes on to say here in verse 21. Because remember, this is our, our text, verses 18 through 22 in particular here this morning. This is our text. I, I want you to notice verse 21 now. Because he goes from saying they were saved through water to saying this, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I want you to do me a favor for just a moment. I want you to go back up to verse 20. And I want you to read this through with me, but leave out that parenthetical statement there in verse 21, because I want you to see how Peter uses the exact same language regarding Noah and his family being saved through water in the ark to how he compares baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ being our means of salvation. Look at this. He says, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. So notice that parallel there. Noah and his family, they were in the ark saved through water. Right? It was the ark was the means by which they were going to find salvation, but that ark only benefited them through water. The water lifted up the ark, right? And then he says the antitype, reading from the ESV, it reads baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. That's the idea of an antitype and a type. The type being that, that blurry image, the antitype being the, the clear image. It's like going from an old VHS to modern 4K, right? That, that's, that's the comparison. If you put the old VHS on and, and you watch that movie on, a, on an old 480p TV, well, 
that that image there's blurriness to it there's the lines as it's as it's lacing upon the screen there's a lot going on in that right and then people were amazed when 720 and 1080 came along and now we have the 4K TVs and and you look at that old VHS and you think about that modern 4K and you say wow that image, I didn't realize just how blurry it was, but it was. And now now we've got this crystal clear 4K, and if that's not enough, 8K is on the way, right? And it's already present in some applications. It's amazing to see the transition. Well, that's that idea of type and antitype. It's like taking that old VHS home movie and comparing it to something shot on a modern iPhone. The difference is staggering, isn't it? Between that old VHS and that new 4K camera that you can record at 60 frames per second and get all the action and the lighting and the nuance of it all. Well, that's the type versus antitype. The type was the arc. It was a shadow and and the water bringing it up to point us ultimately to how through baptism, how by baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we would find salvation. And so the full image that God was, was painting for us in part then, but in completeness now, is that we are saved by water. By water, we are saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so just as eight souls were saved by the ark, Peter tells us, so souls today are saved by baptism through the resurrection. With the ark, water was the power of salvation. It said through water. But with baptism, the power of salvation is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his lordship. If you read verse 22, right? He is ascended on high and and he's been given dominion and power and, and he rules and he reigns. And so baptism only has any significance because it is rooted in the resurrected and ascended and reigning King Jesus. Well, that connects a lot of threads that we've been talking about recently, doesn't it? Across several of our sermons, as well as some of our Bible classes, it brings a connection to all of that. But baptism saves because baptism's power is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism has no power to save if Jesus isn't risen because you're being baptized into someone and in the power of someone's name, well, who would be just a mere mortal, right? But Jesus is more than a mere mortal. He is the Son of God, and he was declared to be such with power by the resurrection from the dead, Romans 1 at verse 4. And so like Noah, responding to God by faith, according to his grace, finding salvation, so we, responding to God by faith, according to his grace, the offering of Jesus Christ, we find salvation. Now, I want you to notice one other thing here that's significant. That parenthetical statement is important. I left it out so we could catch the the way in which Peter sinks the idea of of the ark and Noah and and the souls being saved through water and baptism and, and us and us being saved through the resurrection of Jesus Christ by baptism. I wanted to leave that out so so we could see those two ideas and how they run parallel. But bringing back in that parenthetical statement again, let's read it. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. You see, it's an appeal to God, baptism is. In other words, it's not me going into the water to have my body washed. It's me going to the water by faith, 
appealing to the grace of God for salvation. Just as Noah obeyed God and built that ark, believing that God would save his house through that means of that ark, so we go to the waters of baptism, knowing that it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that God will save us as we respond by faith, being immersed for the remission of our sins. And so when we think about the ark of salvation and how the, the ark in Noah's day prefigures for us the ark of salvation now, we understand that the only way that we have salvation at all today, the only way we're going to find salvation is through baptism. Well, you say, but Ben, baptism isn't the ark. You, you said the church was the ark. Well, yes, because when Peter says baptism now saves us, we have to understand that the nature of baptism dictates to us that it places us somewhere, that it does something with us. We don't just come up out of that water and go about our lives and, and now we're not part of anything. We're just saved and we're doing our own thing. No, 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 no. Baptism places us into the church. And so that brings us to our second point this morning that we want to consider. By water, we are added. By water, we are added. Well, the question is added to what? Well, I invite you to join me again in another text. Turn your Bibles from 1 Peter chapter 3, and I want you to turn back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, in Acts chapter 2, of course, we know this is the day of Pentecost. The Spirit has come upon the apostles, and they are speaking the tongues of the men who are present. They're speaking in their languages. And Peter and the other eleven, they stand up and they preach the gospel of Christ. They preach his death, they preach his burial, and they preach his resurrection. And they say that all of this, from the Holy Spirit coming as the fulfillment of Joel 2 to Jesus' resurrection as a fulfillment of so many of the prophecies of David in the Psalms, that all of this was according to the will of God that man might be saved. And I want you to join me at verse 36. That's where we're going to pick up our reading because that's especially what is pertinent for us this morning. It says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and be and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children, all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Now skip down to verse 46. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now you see here at Verse 47, a statement that stands out to us. The Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. The Lord is adding to them daily the saved. Now, who's the them? Who's the church? Well, throughout the book of Acts, it's, it's those who have been immersed into Christ for their remission of their sins. Whether you're talking about the Jews in Jerusalem or the Samaritans in Samaria, or you're talking about the eunuch from Ethiopia, both of those, the Samaritans and the eunuch in Acts 8, or you're talking about the Gentiles, turn to Acts 10 and reading on through the rest of the book of Acts, especially as the apostle Paul goes out preaching to the Gentile nations and establishing congregations, referred to as churches over and over and over again. 
One of the most significant ones being the church at Ephesus. And you remember in Acts chapter 20 how the Apostle Paul calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus to join him at Miletus. The language of the church, the the assembled, the called out is used over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts. But it begins here the in image and in language in Acts chapter 2. And let's notice some things about this. The first thing we see is that that these individuals are convicted of sin and and they're saying, now what, right? Peter ends the sermon along with the other 11 at verse 36 and, and he says to them, let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this, this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He says, Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ, the, the anointed one. But he is also the one that you crucified. And so they're, they're, they're cut to the heart. They're, they're pricked in the heart. And they ask, men and brethren, what, what shall we do? You see, sin prompts a response when one is convicted of it. How, how do I deal with this sin? How, how do I address this sin issue that separates me from God? And these Jews, knowing the law of Moses, knowing what sin does, knew that something had to be done about that sin. An atonement had to be made. That had been drilled into their minds over and over and over again. Year after year, day after day, as they offered sacrifices, as they came up for the feast days, these Israelites knew, these Jews knew, Sin must be atoned. Well, Peter has just told them that Jesus is the atoning Messiah. And so they're they're saying, well, what shall we do then? If we have sinned, if we've crucified the Savior of mankind, the Lord and Christ, what, what shall we do about that? Well, notice Peter's answer in verse 38. Peter answered and said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins. She baptized in the name of, by the authority of Jesus Christ. Well, that goes back to what we read earlier in 1 Peter chapter 3 at verse 21. That baptism only has power through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the Christ, it's under his name and under his authority that we can come to those waters by faith and expect to receive salvation. And we see that same idea here when he tells them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. But under what end? Well, Peter says baptism saves us. What does Peter say here? Well, he says the same thing, doesn't he? For the remission of sins. To have your sins literally taken away. To have those sins paid off as it relates to the image of debt that is sometimes tied up in this word. He said you need to be baptized for the remission of sins. Well, what is salvation but the freedom from sin, being freed from sin, from the bondage of sin, right? And Peter says in both 1 Peter 3 and here in Acts 2 alongside the other 11, that it's through baptism into Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ, by his authority, that you're going to have salvation. You're going to have salvation. Well, how do the people respond to this? Well, Peter has to keep preaching alongside the other 11, right? They have to keep preaching. Verse 40 tells us that with many other words, he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Be saved. Do something. The language literally asks of them to respond. When he says be saved, the language there in the Greek is really calling on them to, to act. Well, how? 
Verse 41 tells us exactly how they were expected to act because it's exactly what they were told back in verse 38. Then those who gladly received his word did what? What did they do? You're sitting there on the other side. I, I know you have the text in front of you. What did they do? They didn't get down on their knees and pray a prayer. They didn't ask Jesus in the heart. They didn't wait to experience something from the Holy Spirit supposedly coming into their hearts and minds and telling them, you're saved now. That's not what happened at all. Those who gladly received his word were what? Were baptized. Those who heard it and received it. Now, biblically speaking, to receive the words of Jesus through his apostles is to believe, right? That is the idea of believing we, saw, we see that painted for us in John 8 in particular. We talked about that recently in John chapter 14 as well. This idea of receiving and believing going together as one idea. In fact, we, we spoke of the church at Thessalonica who received that word and acted upon it. Well, these people received it, that good heart where the seeds planted, right? Luke 8, and, and they fruit. They bear fruit. That is in salvation. They come to salvation. Now notice how it's phrased at the end of the verse. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Added to them? Added to, to what? Well, whatever the them is, we've been talking about the apostles and the disciples. We know that there are those who are close to the Lord who had walked with them all this time. What, what, are, what is this group that we're talking about, the added ones? Well, verses 46 and 47 help to paint that picture for us, don't, don't they? It says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they, that's the 3,000 who were added to the disciples and the apostles and others who were continuing to believe and be baptized, says they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. And having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily, those who were being saved. Well, how were they told to be saved, to be baptized? When Peter said, save yourselves from this untoward generation, those who received the word, what they do? That they were baptized and added to them. So the ones being saved are the ones who are gladly receiving the word and being baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. And so those who are being baptized... Those who are by water responding to the Savior are being added to the church. You see, when Peter says we have a like figure, we have an antitype which now saves us baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When he mentions baptism, Peter knows that baptism is more than just getting in the water and coming back out. He knows that through that water, sins are remitted and we are added, we are saved and added to the body of Christ. We are added to the church. All who have been saved through the waters of baptism come out of that water as members of the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, members of the church of Christ. That's the truth of the New Testament teaching. That is what we see here in Acts chapter 2. And we know that there is only one baptism, my friends. Ephesians 4 at verse 5, there's only one baptism under which these men were called to be baptized. And we see that playing out in Acts chapter 19 with the discussion that Paul has with those who had only obeyed the baptism of John. But they needed to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They needed to have baptism for the remission of their sins in the name of Jesus in order to be added to the church. 
we are saved, yes, by water we are saved, but by water we are added to the church. Now, the church that we're added to, it is the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ. That's what it is. It's the body of Christ. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't want you to see what the Apostle Paul here says about this baptism and where it puts us. You see, the church and the body are the same, and he uses these terms interchangeably here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Beginning at verse 12, he says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. You see what he says? He says, we are many members, all one body, because we've all been baptized into that one body. But then go down to verse 27 of the text here. He says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. But you look at verse 28, and God has appointed these in the church. Well, notice, you're members of the body and these individually. And God has appointed these in the church. He's talking about the church and their individual responsibilities that God has given within the church as individual members of the body. The body and the church in 1 Corinthians 12 are being used interchangeably. Individual members, all part of the body, all added to the church. But if that text isn't clear enough, turn to the book of Ephesians and notice chapter 1. Notice chapter 1. So we have 3,000 souls on the day of Pentecost added to the church because they are baptized into Christ. And when one is baptized into Christ, God adds one to the church. We see that throughout the book of Acts. We see even those who had obeyed an errant baptism have to be baptized into the one baptism of Jesus Christ. So they might be in Christ and have the remission of their sins. But now we come to Ephesians 2, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, and we see just how strongly the body and the church are connected as one without any doubt whatsoever. Look at this text with me. And he put all things under his feet, that is the Father, put all things under his, the Son's feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ. You see, by water we are baptized. By water we are saved. By water we are added to the church. That's where all the saved are at. In this world right now, every single saved person, every single person who's been baptized for the remission of their sins is in the body of Christ. So we have this whole world with all of these people, most of whom are lost according to the scriptures. Jesus says there are two ways, doesn't he? And he says most will follow the broad way that leads to destruction. So in this whole world where most are lost, there is this body of believers, yes, spread by space across this planet, and yet in spirit united together through Christ into one body, the church. And it's that church that assembles, that praises, that worships, that evangelizes, that builds up. It's that one church where there's salvation. That's what we're added to. 
when we are baptized, when we are saved by baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we're added to that church. But let's add one final point here that will help to bring this all together. By water we are united. Not to one another. That's not what I'm talking about here. But we are united with Christ in the waters of baptism. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3. And this is a text that those of you who have been in our classes on Wednesday nights, you, you know this one. We've been, we've been talking about it a lot, but I can't help but to make these connections so we see how all of this fits together. That's the beauty of the Scriptures. They fit together from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. God's Word is consistent. And when it comes to salvation and the preaching and teaching of the New Testament, God's Word is consistent. That by water we are saved, we are baptized into Christ, we are added to the church and united together with Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Do you see what the text says? For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And what a beautiful text. As many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We're united with Christ in baptism. We put him on. We're one with him. And it is in baptism that we become one with him as we are united with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Where we die, where we are buried in those waters, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans chapter 6. He says, beginning at verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Dead through baptism to the old man, raised to walk in newness of life. You see, by water we are united with Christ. By water we are added to the church. By water we are saved by baptism through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Brethren, what a beautiful lesson we have given to us from the words of God. 